Welcome to Seven Mile Ministry. We hope you enjoy this message. You're a vessel. He chose you. He created you. He, he pours into you so that you can pour out into others. And He's called you. He's got a plan and a purpose for you. Now I'm reminded of a prostitute in the Old Testament named Rahab that God used to get something accomplished. And that's what she's remembered for when people preach the story and tell the story about Rahab the prostitute who hid the spies. Just a, a prostitute. A woman who made some bad choices in life. But God used her. But that's not all He used her for. A lot of times in our Bible, when we're reading, we skip over the begots. So-and-so begot, so-and-so, and so-and-so begot, so-and-so. It's important about the begots because you see the bloodline. See, the blessing was upon the bloodline. The favor was upon the bloodline. And the bloodline trickled down, trickled down, trickled down to Jesus. And Jesus shed His blood so that His blood would be upon you and upon me. Now the blessing's upon you and upon me. Not just in that bloodline. But now we're in the bloodline. You see what I'm saying? But uh, the begots, the begots, Matthew, the first chapter, the first, you start reading the begots. It's the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We skip on down to the fifth verse. Simon begot Boaz by Rahab. By Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot David. And who's the son of David? I want you to see that God used Rahab to get to Jesus. Amen. And He'll use you to share Jesus. He'll use you to get the gospel out, the gospel of Jesus Christ out. He'll use you right in the middle of your deficiency to pour it out. Amen. Y'all ready? He wants to pour something into you this morning so you can leave out of these doors, get outside of these walls and pour into others. Amen. So, Father, we just thank You for the Word this morning. We thank You that You chose us. And we are willing vessels this morning. We're saying, fill us. We come to You empty. Fill us up, Lord. And we're not going to hoard it up, but we're going to go out and we're going to pour it out. We thank You for guiding our feet and giving us the strength, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the thing that You send us forth to accomplish. We just thank You for it. We give You all the glory, all the honor. We thank you in advance. We're leaving out better than we came in. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Say good morning and shake a few hands before you're seated.
Praise the Lord. Y'all ready? Well, good morning. I'm ready too. I said good morning to my mother. She said that wasn't very nice the way I said it. No, I'm just ready. Just ready. Hope you're ready. Praise the Lord. God's good, isn't he? God is good. Hmm, I felt the presence of the Lord. I feel it now. It's good. It's a, it's a, it's a good thing. You don't want to go through life without it. Amen. Because it's the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. It's not your money. It's not a church attendance. However, it is good to be at church. That's where we learn and where we grow. Amen. But you don't learn when you're up there, you know, playing on your phone and stuff, but paying attention. So, um, in Matthew, the 25th verse, the 25th chapter, rather, that's where, we, where the Project 25 was birthed from. And also in Matthew 25, there's, there's uh, two parables. There's a parable of the ten virgins and there's a parable of the talents. And he gives out these talents. He gives the one five, he gives the one two, and he gives to another one. The king does. And he gives it to his servants. He says, here's five, here's two, here's one. I'm going away, I'll come back. He comes back, the five, and poured out his five. He had used his five, and now he's got ten. The one that had two, he had used his two. He had poured out his two, now he's got two. But the one that only had one, he just had a, just, just that one. He said, well, I didn't do anything with it. I went and hid it, and he gave him his one back. Well, the one that had five, he said, good job. You've been faithful over a few things. Now I'm going to put you in charge over many. The one that had the two, now he's got four. Same thing. Good job. You've been faithful over a few things. Now I'm going to make you a ruler over many things. And the one that had the one that hid it, he said, you wicked servant. And he said, you cast him out into the darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, we've all been given something. Everybody in here has been given something to use. You may look at it and say, well, I've got five, so I'm not afraid to use some of what i got. But I'm talking about the one that don't feel like you have much. Just a little bit. I'm at a deficit. And you kind of want to hold on to what little bit you got. One time, I, 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 this story, I was reminded of this story, and I don't even think my wife knows it. She's fixing to know it now. But since it happened so many years ago, perhaps she'll forgive me. But we're on the way home from the beach, and I don't even know how we ended up. We usually got a car load of kids, but somehow it's just me and her, and I'm driving. She used to have this little red BMW. If you've ever been in a BMW, they handle really well. They're low to the ground. You can hang some curves. Not that I've done that, but they're, they're quick, fun to drive. And so we're on the way home from the beach. Now, when we go to the beach, we always stop in Greenville. Not that I like Greenville, but I mean, not that there's like a lot of food choices and things there, but I used to hunt down that way, and I'd go to Greenville when I was a teenager at night and eat and hang out. You know, there's some other teenagers down there in, in that area. And so I, I stopped there, and it, it brings back memories, but the main thing is it's halfway point. It's like four hours and 20 minutes to the beach, and it's like literally two hours and 10 minutes to Greenville. It's dead in the center. That's where we stop. Well, this, we stop usually going and coming. And then we also have to stop by the priestess pecans. I'm just ready to get home. But then I go in there, and I get all the samples. and eat them up, and they're good. So 
it's all good, but this one time I get on the interstate and I'm rolling on about 80, and uh, I'm going about 80 miles an hour. Like I said, you know, this is a long time ago. I wouldn't do that now. And I'm going about 80 miles an hour, I'm cruising. I look up in the rearview mirror, here comes the car, and I get over out of the fast lane, like you're supposed to do. And when somebody, don't ride in the left-hand lane. If somebody's up on you, get out of the way. Newsflash. But anyway, this Lincoln comes up on me, and I get over, and it passes me, and it's running a little quicker, so I hop in behind the Lincoln. Now we're running 90. We're trucking along. Well, I look up in my rearview mirror, and now here comes a Suburban. Shortly thereafter, a Suburban comes up on me going faster. So I get over, Lincoln gets over, Suburban goes on by, running about 100. Lincoln gets over, BMW gets over. Now we're running about 100. I look over at Jackie, and she's reading this, she's over there reading this book, probably about how to be a better wife or something. And she don't even know, because if she did, we would be not doing this. So then this caddy pulls up on, on me. It's going even faster. So I pull over, the Lincoln pulls over, the Suburban pulls over, the Caddy passes by about 110. We all fall back in line. We're gone. But I hated to get out of this train because we're making good time, but I had to stop in Greenville. So I get off in Greenville, and we exit off, and she's literally got her book up, and she's like, wow. We're already in Greenville? She goes, that didn't take very long at all. And I said, oh, you just... Caught in that book. <laughs> it's because we were rolling on pretty quick. But the reason I say that is life's the same way. You can go past miles and miles and miles and months, weeks, years of life, and all of a sudden, it's like, what happened to it? What have I, what have I been doing with what he gave me? What have, I, what have I been doing at all? I woke up one day and I'm 45. What in the world? How did I get here? I used to think that was old. Now, I think, you know, it's not that bad. It's pretty okay. But I did wake up at 33 years old and think, wow, I, 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 I've, I've come a long way, and I don't really have anything to show for it except a lot of broken bones and, and, and scars. But I'm talking about what, I, what have I done for the kingdom? What have I done with what he's given me? Because everybody in here, he's given you something, Amen. So I tell you that, uh, I tell the story about the excessive speeding. It's not a good idea to do that, but don't, don't, let, don't let it just slip by you where you just arrive and you're like, hey, well, I mean, how did we get here so quick? Where did the time go? We need to use the time that he's given us now. Because, see, just like the, the king came back to the servant, so he had left the talents with, he, they didn't know when he was coming back. Amen. So last week we were in 2 Kings. We were talking about the woman who had the oil. Y'all remember the story? Well, I've been, that's been on my mind, in my heart, thinking about it, meditating on it all week long, hadn't been able to get away from it. So guess what? We're going back to it. Now 2 Kings, the first chapter, the first verse. Well, let's read it real quick. A certain woman of the wives of the son of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take away my two sons to be the slaves. They're going to be payment. So Elisha said to her, what, what shall I do for you? Tell me. 
what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Now, let's, before we take off too quickly, he, he, she says, she tells him the problem. He says, all right, what, what do you want me to do for you? And then he asked her a question. What do you have in your house? And she says, nothing in the house but a, just this jar of oil. Nothing but a jar of oil. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels, vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Then it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And they said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Now, we all have something. No doubt about it, all of us have something. You have something. I want to ask you a question, Anna, and I want you to answer nothing, okay? So the prophet says, what do you have? That's what he says, what do you have? Her first thing is nothing. Well, I got this little thing, oh, so what do you have? You have nothing? You got nothing. It looks like you have something to me. You got eyes and ears and a mouth and hands and feet, clothes on your back. You've got hair, you've got a purse there. I saw you drive your car in this morning. I know you live in a house. Hopefully you use the shower that you have. And you have a job, but you want to tell me you have nothing. Is that what you're telling me? Okay, well, she didn't really say nothing. I made her say nothing. <laughs> but you do have something. I mean, if you don't have anything but eyelids, you've got something. I mean, you've got something. We've all got something. You've got something. You've got something that you can use. God has given you a talent. He's given you a gift. There is something that you have. You have something. And that woman has something. That's what Elisha was getting to. What do you have? What do you have? I'm sure she was hoping he was going, you know, whip out some cash, take care of the problem. But he turns it around on her and says, what do you have? And see, I think in this room, there's people that's all over the page, uh, financially speaking. I mean, there's people that uh, are not really sure how they're going to make the house note. And there's other people's house has been paid off for 20 years. And you're sitting pretty. Some people rolled in on fumes. and Other people rolled in in a full tank of gas in a brand new vehicle. Now, it's, in other words, we're, we're all different. But really, at the end of the day, if you want to look at deficiencies, we're all more alike than you think because we've all got deficiencies. Somebody may have plenty of money in the bank, but they're uh, at a deficit in their marriage. Or they're at a deficit in their health. Or maybe their marriage is absolutely wonderful, but they don't have any money in the bank. In other words, if you look at deficits, we've all got a deficit. There's all, hey, there was only one that had it all that was perfect and they crucified him. We've all got a deficit, so what I want you to know is we're all more alike than you think. And you look at this story here in 2 Kings, um, Elisha here is talking to this widow woman, but right before he does, he's actually helping out three kings. And then right after he helps this woman, now he's helping this rich woman. This rich woman, she, she must be rich because she said, well, let's just add a room to our house so that when he comes by, 
once every year or every five years or whenever it is, that he'll have his own pad to stay in. you got to be rich to add a wing to your house just for a guy that you hope comes by to stay with you. But now here's a widow woman who doesn't have anything. The only thing she has is a little bit of oil. She's got nothing. I want to tell you, God's interested, interested in you. You feel like you're nothing, you don't have nothing. He's interested in what little bit you got. Praise the Lord. So he says, how can I help you? And I'm sure she's hoping for money because they're fixing to take away her son. He asks a question. Um, he says, go get these vessels. Why would you go get vessels? You go get something to put nothing into? You think about the earth. God had to create the earth before he put anything in it. It was without form and void. But he created something and he put something into it. He put a lot of things into it, didn't he? Amen. So what she has there is, is like you know, seemingly nothing to her. And I think a lot of times what we think we have is, is you know, it seems like it's really nothing. And then we minimize what, what little bit we do have and um, maybe become overwhelmed with the scarcity and we minimize our supply. But she says... I don't really have anything but this oil. And I just want to encourage us this morning to take inventory of what you have. Check your supply. Don't overlook what you do have. Because everybody's got something. Everybody's got something. I'm sure this lady was overwhelmed. Of course she was overwhelmed. She had lost her husband. Now she's fixing to lose her sons. She's going, everything that she's had is fixing to be taken away from her. All of it. Her husband's gone. Now the debtors are going to come take her son. No money. So I'm sure the oil does seem small in compared, compared to the, her deficit, to her problem. It did seem seemingly small. But I want you to know this. God does miracles through small things. He does miracles through small things. He's out preaching to the multitude and it says, the disciple says, you want us to send them away? No, you can't send them away. We've got to feed them. How in the world are we going to feed this many people with two fish and five loaves of bread? It's just a small little thing, but God uses a small little thing not only to feed the 5,000, but to have baskets left over that were full of bread and fish. Amen. He just used a small thing. Somebody had to pour out what all that, that they had, and it was a little boy that didn't withhold, and he gave his lunch. Yes. Amen. I want you to know this morning, God's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. He's speaking to all of us saying, hey, I'm wanting to work a miracle. I'm wanting to do something through what you have. And it may seem small to you, but pour it out. So we want Him to pour. But we feel like we're too poor, too poor. See, the woman thought she was too poor to pour. And when you feel like you're too poor and you're in a deficit, you won't pour. But see, it's not until you pour that it starts to flow. We say, God, pour. And he's like, pour. Pour it out, God. And he's like, pour it out. Pour it out, God. No, Red, you, you, you pour it out. And the title of today's message is Too Poor to Pour. Oil is symbolic. You look at kings in the Old Testament and they are um, 
anointed as king, and then they'll use oil, which represents empowerment. And for you and I, it represents empowerment as well because the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit come and was given to each and every one of us, and guess what? There was empowerment. That's where our power comes from. Amen? So the enemy can't steal your oil. The enemy can't steal your oil. You take a hold of that. You may not have a lot of oil. You may not feel like you have a lot of oil. You may not feel like your talents compared to other people's talents or your gifts or money or education or whatever it is. But I'm not talking about the oil in your pantry. I'm talking about the oil in your heart. And the enemy can't steal the oil. But what he can do is get you to minimize it and not think much of it and just look over what little bit you have. Like, your talent doesn't compare to his talent. Look at them. They can sing or they can speak or they have this. Or they have all. It looks all. You start looking at others. Um, and don't overlook the time that you're in. The season that you're in. The gift that he gave you. And we overlook these things and we focus on the fact that the oil is just too little. You sit in church for weeks and months and years and stay in your deficiency because you're too focused on the fact that the, the oil is little. It's just a little bit of oil. All I have is just a little bit of oil. And one thing we do is we compare our oil. You compare your oil to other people's oil. Oh, look at them. Their picture's on Facebook. Or the house or the car. I mean, their family just seems to be... Um, let's pause for a second. Time out. Take that thermostat. I'm sweating. <laughs> Play button. You compare your oil to other people's. You compare your quantity. You compare what they, what you have. You look on Facebook. They're at the beach. They're on the beach. It's a beautiful picture of the scenery. It's a man and a woman. They're two children, and they're all smiling. They're having a good time, and you look at it. You compare what you've got in your marriage, your kids, to theirs, but the reality is you really don't know. It's not as it appears because they've been talking about getting a divorce the whole time they've been at the beach. They've been fussing and fighting. They're cussing, screaming, yelling, talking about giving the kids up for adoption. But they stopped long enough to smile, get the family, hey, picture. And then they went back to the same thing. Don't, you don't need to be comparing your oil, uh, comparing your gifts or talents or anything you've got with, some, especially not on Facebook. Amen. I personally know people that put pictures of themselves every year on their anniversary date, and they're like, couldn't have made it without you, and they're just all snuggled up their picture, you know, selfie or whatever. But I know them. It's not true. It is not true. They hate each other. The only reason they're married is they're just trying to make it till the kids get old enough and then they're, pew, they're going their separate ways. But every year for anniversary, could have made it without you, babe. Selfie. <laughs> Don't compare your oil to their oil because here's the thing, you're not going to be held accountable for their oil. You're not going to be held accountable for what God gave them. You're only going to be held accountable for what he gave you, for that talent. Amen. We're talking about Elisha here. You back up before Elisha, there was Elijah. And uh, Elijah, they're out in the middle of a famine. It hadn't rained in years. He says, Ahab, you better get your chariots ready. Because I hear something, and it sounds like the abundance of rain. Well, you know, most people are thinking, I don't hear nothing. 
And he hadn't rained in years. We're out in the middle of a famine. You want to tell us to get the horse and chariots ready to hurry to outrun the rain? So much rain's coming. So in 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, in the 41st verse, I'm going to pick up there. And he said to his servant, Elijah said to his servant, Go up, look towards the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And seven times he said it again. So he went up and looked and says, There's nothing. Go look again. There's nothing. Go look. There's nothing. Go look. Still nothing. Go look. Nothing. Go look. Nothing. Go look. Well, there's one cloud out there. As far as the eye can see, it's the size of a man's hand. Doesn't look like much. It's just one cloud the size of a man's hand. Then it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. It had not rained in years. They're in a drought. They see one little cloud the size of a man's hand. He said, you better get you ready, take off before this rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went away to Jezreel. And that's where you read that um, Elijah girds up his loins, takes off running and outruns the chariots. But anyway, what I want to tell you is the amount of rain is not determined by the size of the cloud. The, the amount of blessing that God wants to provide you with is not determined by the size of the oil that's in your heart. The blessing that he provided this woman was not determined by that little bit of oil that she had in the pantry. It was determined by, are you willing to pour out what you've got? Amen. This preacher, one time I heard him preaching, and this guy said, I need $100,000 for this orphanage. He said he was sitting there with $1,000 in his pocket, and he said, Lord, if you'd give me $100,000, I'd give it to them to build that orphanage. He said, well, just go ahead and give them that $1,000 you do have. He said that's all the money he had to his name. So he said he put it in there. And things began to look worse and worse and worse. And he got further in debt. And then all of a sudden a stranger walked up to him out of the middle of nowhere and said, the Lord told me to write you a check for $24,000-something. That's exactly to the, many, to the penny that the man needed. Anyway, a lot of details don't have time for it. But he's, he just told him, give what you do have. You don't have the $100,000. we are going to wait till we have enough. Then we're going to give it. God always asks you to give something you don't have. Or that you don't think you can give. Some of the greatest financial blessings I've had in my life have come shortly thereafter. I gave, I'm telling you everything I had. Right here. In the box. Or in an offering bucket. Whatever it was. Literally. Everything. What much. But I was thinking to myself, this is all I've got. This, this is my last 20. And I've got four kids. Give it. Whew. And then shortly thereafter, you go out to your mailbox. <laughs> you know. And there's $500 cash in there in an the envelope. And I've got stories like that for days. That's just one that jumps out at me because it, 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 uh, it, I got down on my knees in my driveway and I cried like a baby. That's why. Praise the Lord. Amen. 
It's not about the size of the cloud. It's not about the amount of oil. It's not about your education. It's not about the estimation of yourself. God chose you, and if he chose you, he's going to use you. Can't nobody on earth, can't a demon in hell stop you? Quit comparing yourself. Quit, quit taking an estimation of yourself. He used Rahab. Amen. Satan wants to minimize you to starve you. And if you look in Second King, uh, First Kings, the seventeenth chapter, there's a woman in there, and she's 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 coming out to pick up some sticks. Elijah says, "Hey, how about a drink of water?" So she goes to give him a drink of water, and while she's going to get a drink of water, he says, "How about us uh, and bring me some bread in your hand?" And she says, "Well, I don't have any bread to bring y'all. I've got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and that's why I'm gathering these sticks. Is because I'm fixing to go make a fire, and I'm going to use a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour, and I'm going to make me and my son a little bit of bread, and we're going to eat it, and then we're going to starve." And he says, "Well, before you make you a cake." And you, star, make me one. Because the Lord told me when you do that, that that flower that's in your bin, it won't run out and the oil won't cease. So she went and did what the prophet told her. And guess what the Word of God says? It says that the flower didn't run out and the oil didn't cease. God always will ask you to use something that you don't think you've got enough of, but Satan wants to minimize it so you'll starve. Because he can't steal it from you. Praise the Lord. We get in the mindset that we're just too poor to pour. I'm too poor to pour. As a parent, what have I got to give these kids? I'm, I'm too poor to pour. As a husband, I, I mean, what have I got to give her? As a wife, what have I got to give him? Why even try anymore? I'm just too poor to pour. As a Christian, what can I give? I'm just too poor to pour. But when you, it's not until you start pouring that the, it starts to flow. But I understand the need seems larger than the supply. Oftentimes, most times. You're the man one minute. You know. You got things going your way, you're the, you're the man. But then all of a sudden, snap of a finger, you're an insecure man. One minute you're the man and the next minute you're an insecure man and why you're insecure is you're insecure about what you don't have. And that's right where Satan wants you to be. He wants you to be insecure about what you don't have. If we ask right now, if I went around the room, we just stopped, took a time out and asked everybody in the room, what are you great at? 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 Or if I ask, what are you not good at? What is a deficit in your life? It's going to be a lot easier to answer the deficit than it is what you're good at. Because Satan wants to use your deficit to overshadow what it is that you're good at. To overshadow the oil that's in your heart, that's in your life, that's in your pantry, your oil, your gift, your talent, what he's given you. Elisha asked her, he says, what do you have? He didn't say, what do you wish you had? He says, what do you have? What strengths do you have? What gifts do you have? What talents do you have? What experiences do you have? Let me tell you, you have all those things. You have the experiences you need, and it's only going to flow out when it's poured out. So we talk about gifts. And I, I, well, I, I got so much to share. I'm going to tell you, we can turn this into a seminar. I'm not going to do that. But whatever you do, be good at it. Use the gift. I mean, we got all kind of gifts and talents 
Okay? I mean, my hobbies in life have, have started off as hunting and fishing, then it got into racing motorcycles. But whenever I hunted, I wanted to be the best that there was. That's it. I lived in the woods. I lay on the ground till moss grew my back. Whatever it took to kill whatever it is that I wanted to kill, I wanted to be the best, the best. If, the, if I wasn't the best, when they talked about the best, I sure wanted my name to be mentioned kind of a thing. Then it went in motorcycles. I want to be as good as I can possibly be. If you're playing baseball, be as good as you can possibly be. If you're uh, a framing a house, be the best framer that you can possibly be. If God gave you a gift and talent, use it to be the best that you can be. If you decide that you want to uh, go to the gym and work out, be the most dedicated, faithful, that, be the best that you can be because people are attracted to the best. See, if, you, if you're the worst rider at the whole track and you never get any better, nobody ever notices any improvement, people don't even know your name. But when you start progressing and start doing better, then people do notice you and they do know your name. Now they're drawn to you. Okay? So if people are drawn to you, then there's an opportunity there to use the gift and talent that God's given you. Look at Tim Tebow. See, Jesus lives on the inside of his heart, no doubt. He witnesses the people. He shares with people. He tells them about Jesus. It ain't for show because they've ridiculed him, made fun of him. They've done all kinds of things. But he was given a talent. His talent was to throw a football. He got a college education out of it. Then he played, uh, went on further. But he, he's a popular person. Everybody knows Tim Tebow. But he used the gift and talent that God gave him to throw a football to reach people. Do you know more people Googled John 3.16 after he wore that under his, uh, on his face than ever? Ever. That's because people didn't even know John 3.16. That tells you people don't know Jesus. If you don't know, atheists know John 3.16 for crying out loud. But people were Googling it. I think it was like two million people Googled it just during the game. Praise the Lord. Use your talent. Be the best you can. If you're on the pitching mound, be the best you can. Not just to win the game because other people are going to recognize you. They're going to be drawn to you. And that's an opportunity to to share Christ with them. Amen. Show good worth ethics on your job. Praise the Lord. I was jotting down some things this morning and lots of things and not getting into all of them, but just as the Lord leads here. But one thing I did write down here on this piece of paper, it says, some have stopped pouring. You used to pour. You used to be someone who encouraged others, but then something happened in your life and you got discouraged. And since you got discouraged, then you have quit encouraging. Now I need somebody to encourage me. I need somebody to pour into me. I've been encouraging and I've been encouraging and pouring into people for all these years, but now I've been discouraged and I just need somebody to pour into me. Well, guess what? When you pour out, you get more. When you pour out, you get more. When you pour out, God flows. 
And uh, God's always going to ask you to pour out what you don't have enough of. And we can look at the story of Gideon. He says, Gideon, I'm fixing to use you, boy. And he says, me? I'm weak. I'm a run of the litter. My clan's the weakest. Yep, I'm going to use you. And then he goes and gets his army prepared. Too many. He makes it smaller. Still too many. Makes it even smaller. He's used something that you don't feel like you have enough of to use. I can remember the very first time I spoke. I mean, I could tell stories about that. I sure didn't feel like I'm the one that needed to be up there. No way. I need to get somebody else up here. I tried to back out, tried to get out of it. The Lord, he just kept pushing on me, so I, 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 I did. And thankful for it, because lots of lives have been saved sin, since then. But I realized one thing is the more red pours, the more God pours. The more I pour, the more that flows. Praise the Lord. See, when you encourage others, see, even when you're discouraged, when you encourage, um, you'll be encouraged. And a good example of that is Jesus is going to the well and he's hungry and he has nothing to eat. And he's there at the well of Samaria and he tells his disciples, go yonder, find us something to eat. So they go off, and in the meantime, this woman comes up, and Jesus encourages her. He shares the Word of God with her. He feeds her the Word of God. And then she leaves there changed, and she goes back and starts telling other people about Jesus. Then his disciples come, and they're like, here's some food. And he says, I'm not even hungry anymore. I've got food to eat that you know nothing about. In other words, he fed her, and he was filled. He encouraged her, and he was encouraged. The same thing applies to you and I. See, we're hungry. When you feed people, you're filled. When you pour out, He pours in. When you encourage, you're encouraged. You can't wait till you think you've got the absolute perfect marriage before you want to encourage someone else in their marriage. You don't worry about encouraging them in their marriage. You encourage them in, their low, in the Lord about their marriage. Praise the Lord. There was this man in the Bible that couldn't have babies. Let's see, what was his name? Um, I think it was Abraham. He prayed for others before he could have a child. It didn't stop him. Amen. Nobody appreciates me. Nobody appreciates me. Nobody even recognizes me. What that woman who loved Jesus so much that she comes and breaks that flask of uh, fragrant oil and pours it all over she gave, She poured out everything she's had. She poured it out. And people still said, you shouldn't have poured that out. That's just a waste. People are going to ridicule you. People aren't going to appreciate you. People will make fun of you. People will have things to say. They're going to insult you. They just insulted her. But you know what? No matter what they say, no matter how much they insult you, just keep pouring. Just keep pouring. Sometimes I preach sermons. I don't really feel like many people are listening, but I keep coming back every Sunday. I just keep pouring. Sometimes I look out there and have, some people are asleep, but I just keep pouring. Sometimes I go to the race and think, dear Lord, why am I even here? These people aren't listening to me. And then all of a sudden, a grown man, big as me, comes up, breaks down Christ, starts telling me uh, how Jesus has changed his life, and it's all because he heard a message at the race. And then I realize, I sure am glad I kept pouring. Amen. 
See, you got to pour when nobody's listening. When you think nobody's listening, you got to keep pouring when they insult you, when they like you, when they don't like you, you just got to keep pouring. When your husband's appreciating you or he's not appreciating you, just keep pouring. When your wife's appreciating you or she's dogging you out, you just got to keep pouring. Got quiet on that one. Just keep pouring no matter what. Keep pouring no matter what. They don't think much of me. Think about Samuel. It's time to anoint a new king. David's going to take the place of Saul. But David didn't know this. And Samuel says, go to the house of Jesse. Now you're going to find the new king there. You're going to anoint him. I'll show you which one it is. So he says, where's your sons at? So they bring him in. That ain't him. Bring him in. That's not him. Nope. Uh-uh. No. Not him. Not him. Do you have any more? Well, yeah. I mean, we got this one, but he's just a little run out there. Just keep, you know, he's the youngest. He's out there. Keep. They didn't even consider him. Didn't even consider him. He had to ask, do you have any more sons? Because none of these are it. He wasn't even considered. Do you ever feel like you're not even considered and nobody even considers you? You better just keep on pouring. Because what other people consider and whether they're considering you or not, God does. And I'm not pouring for you and you ain't pouring for me. We're pouring for Him. So now, He's been anointed. They said, Jesse, this is your son, David here. It's on him. Shortly thereafter, they're out there at the battle with the Philistines. There's the giant. We preach about the giant. We preach about slaying the giant. We've preached about every preacher in America. If you've ever preached, spent any time preaching, you've preached about David and Goliath because it's a great story and we all like it. And it's encouraging because there's always going to be a giant in your life in some shape, form, or fashion. Amen? And we like to read the story, but David didn't know the story. He didn't know the end of the story. All he knew is his dad said, hey, your brothers are out there. Carry him some bread and carry him some cheese. Go out there and feed him. And the commander, feed him. And then uh, tell me what's going on. Report back to me. So here's David. Well, did you not hear Samuel? He said, I'm supposed to be the king. You don't even consider me. All you want me to do is carry him lunch. You just want me to go fix some coffee. You just want me to serve at the door, work at the desk, pick up a piece of paper in the parking lot, whatever it is. It's so small, it doesn't seem like much. We're just carrying them some lunch. But he carried that lunch on out there not knowing that that day that he was going to stand in front of Goliath and slew him, slay him, and kill him. Chop his head off. See, those small things that we overlook and don't think much about... People, they don't, they're not even considering me. Who am I? What, can, what have I got to offer? What can I even do? Well, thankfully, David didn't have that attitude, right? Sometimes we do overlook those little things, not knowing what's on the end of it, not knowing that you're a giant that's going to get slayed. What's following it is doing something that may seem meaningless or small or not, may, may not seem big and comparative to what other people are doing. You can do something so small. I was talking about at the gym working out. You could be at the gym working out and you could be a man with some experience. You could look over there and see somebody doing it wrong because people like to get these dumbbells and they like to swing them up like this. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm curling a 90. Well, you're not curling nothing. Put that thing down and get you about a 20 because that looks like that's all you can handle. And anyway, you can teach them how to do it. And then they're like, oh, thanks. Now you strike up a friendship. It's just a small little thing. Next thing you know, you've invited them to church. Next thing you know, me, me, me. I want it. I want to get saved today. But it started with just that little thing. We can go on with examples for today. Y'all with me? You've all got something. Praise the Lord. We read this story here about the oil. Go get the vessels. I think the story is really more about the vessels than the oil because you can't put oil in a vessel that's already full. You have to empty the vessel before you can fill it. And that's why we need to come to the Lord empty and say, fill me. See, he can't fill you and use you until you're emptied out. And you're all vessels. He's created each and every one of you. It's what's in the vessel that makes the vessel worth so much. Sometimes Jackie and Mackenzie may go shopping and they come home and they have brought me a piece of cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory. And it's this little styrofoam container. The styrofoam container probably cost about a penny. I didn't Google it, but I'm going to say about a penny. And the styrofoam container is just carrying something that's glorious. (laughs) But the styrofoam container is not that big of a deal. It's just a styrofoam container. But then you open it up, and there's that cheesecake with those fresh strawberries on it. And you start hearing the hallelujah, hallelujah. You start hearing that song. I can't sing well. I'd sing it to you. But you start hearing the angels and the choir and the symphony. And the, but see, it's very valuable because of what's in it. I heard Jensen Franklin one time. He said, the pizza man's never just brought me a pizza when it was just hanging off of his hands like he just pepperoni and cheese and stuff on his arm. But he brings it in a pizza box. And he was saying that we're the pizza box. I never, you know, it's been years ago since I've heard it, but I've not forgot it. It's stuck in my brain, the pizza box. But I don't want the pizza man to show up with a pizza in his hand. I don't want his nasty critters all over my pizza. I want it to be in the box. I said that box is very valuable because when you open it up, there's a pizza in it. See, that's how you and I are the vessels. Praise the Lord. Paul says this, he says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. I want you to know that you're a chosen vessel. He has chosen you to be a vessel. I was not adopted. My parents got stuck with me. They got stuck with me. But you go read in the Scripture... And it says God adopted you. 
If there's anybody here that's ever been adopted or know anybody that's been adopted, you were chosen. Your parents went and chose you. They adopted you. My parents got stuck with me. But if you're adopted, you were chosen. God adopted you. It's all through the Scripture in Ephesians and in Galatians and in Romans that says we have been adopted, that we're not no longer far off, that we have been brought very near, that we are sons and we are daughters. Why? Because He chose us and He adopted us. He chose you to be the vessel. And yeah, the vessel's not pretty. It's got cracks in it. It's got chips in it. It's flawed, but it's not about the vessel. It's what's in the vessel. Amen. Praise the Lord. And you say, well, I'm, you know, I'm just a housewife. You're not just a housewife. You're a laundromat. You're a chef. You're a doctor. If you've got kids like mine, you're a referee in a boxing match. You're a taxi driver. A maid. My mother says a maid, but I've been to her house. She's lying. Yeah, you know, because she don't clean it too often. <laughs> uh, good times, good times. But you're his chosen vessel. And you're not too poor to pour. Amen? Satan wants you to think that you are too poor to pour. But what God's put in motion, Satan can't stop. What God's appointed, Satan can't disappoint. As long as you're pouring out. Amen? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That's where we're stopping today. Just like that.